So this morning, we have three really different readings. There's one about the Apostle Paul meeting with this woman named Lydia. There's another one about Jesus with uh, healing a man next to the pool of Bethsaida. And a third about Jesus offering peace to the disciples at the Last Supper. How did these connect? Why are they in the lectionary together today? So in the first story, Paul is on a mission trip to the Gentiles in a city called Philippi, whose nearby gold mines have brought great wealth over the centuries to many of its citizens, and not to a lot of his other citizens. When Paul got to Philippi, he went looking for a synagogue at which to preach. Now apparently in Philippi, the the Jewish community was so small that they could not get the the minion, the the ten adult Jewish men required to form a synagogue. And so what happened instead was this informal gathering of women, Jewish, so-called God-fearers, pagan people who uh, who were experimenting or putting their big toe into the waters of Judaism. Uh, they, They would gather on the Sabbath near a river outside the city gates to pray. And Paul and his companions joined with these women and shared with them the stories of a crucified and risen rabbi named Jesus. And one of the women that Paul meets is Lydia. And maybe I'm just projecting, but my sense is that Lydia is a thoroughly modern woman who lived 1970 years ago. It seems as though she was an astute businesswoman. She was probably pretty well off and quite influential in her community. And we know this because it says she was a dealer in purple cloth, which was an expensive dye literally worth more than gold and affordable only by the wealthiest of royalty in those days. Quick aside. Something to impress your friends with. It takes 120 pounds of Murex snails, uh, uh, an aquatic snail, uh, to be crushed, fermented, and boiled for 10 days to produce one gram of this purple dye, which would be about enough to dye the hem of the emperor's robe. So it was expensive stuff, and she was a dealer in this very expensive cloth. Scriptures don't tell us anything about the rest of her life, except that she had a household. We don't know if she had a husband or children. And what Luke calls her oikos, her household, the folks that she had get baptized with her, certainly would have included servants, employees, all the people kind of in her immediate circle. Oikos, that Greek word, is also the root of such words as economics and ecumenical, which were venues in which I think Lydia was very active. Lydia, as a thoroughly modern woman living almost 2,000 years ago, would have fit perfectly into modern Cambridge society. She would have headed up the Harvard Square Business Association. Don't tell Denise. Denise I won't tell Denise that. <laughs> uh, 
She, she would have had a, a, a lovely old mansard that, that she bought 50 years ago and, and fixed it up herself. Uh, she would be a mentor to disadvantaged women and girls in the greater Camberville community. She would have been active in local politics, probably knocking off uh, a certain city council member. Uh, you get the idea. And not just that, she also was a former pagan whose love for God drew her to worship with the Jewish women in her community. And when she heard from Paul the good news of Jesus Christ, something clicked in her. She wanted the life renewed and resurrected that he offered. And the reading says, the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. That lovely mansard that she fixed up. And she prevailed upon us, the scripture says. Reminds me of, nevertheless, she persisted, right? I think Lydia was a hero, a shero, if you will, of the faith in that she persisted in what she did. She took whatever risks were needed. She broke the rules if she had to. She was willing to do the unusual, to find what it was that she needed in her business life and in her spiritual life. It's an inspiring character. And then, on the other hand, we have this guy at the poolside in John's Gospel. This guy, unnamed, is kind of like the anti-Lydia. Here's a guy who's been waiting by the pool passively for 38 years, hoping for a miracle to happen without apparently doing a whole lot to make it happen. Apparently there was a popular belief that whenever the water at the pool of Beit Zatha was stirred up, it was because the wings of an angel disturbed the pool. And then the first person into the pool then would receive a miraculous healing. Now, that's some pretty problematic theology on a number of levels. But, still, in 38 years, this guy hasn't figured out some way to work something out so that he might be the first one into the pool. You'd think he would have sat right close to the edge. I think he should have camped out next to the edge of the pool and hired a teenage kid to, when the water moved, boom, knock him right in. Or just go to the pool when it was a windy day. Or something with a little gumption, a little imagination, anything. I read this guy and I, was just, I get exasperated with him. And depending on how you read Jesus' response to the guy, I'm wondering if even the Lord was a little impatient with him. John writes, Knowing he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? But you could certainly read that as Jesus saying, do you want to be made well? And this man's answer 
is not to say, yes, Lord, do me. He goes on to explain exactly why he hasn't made it to the water yet. So whether out of impatience, whether out of pity, pity, Jesus heals him right then and there. He doesn't say the thing he usually says, your faith has made you well. He just says, oi, take your mat and go. The oi isn't in there. The oi was not in there. Okay, I added. That's an editorial oi. Uh, Jesus heals him outright, and he gets up and walks. And I think the guy at the pool, he would fit into Cambridge too. Not into Lydia's Cambridge, but maybe the Cambridge of Roy and Alistair, who I got to see when I was handing out sandwiches with, uh, with Lane yesterday. Or maybe the Cambridge that comes to First Church on Fridays for the kind presence and the delicious food offered by Carmen and Aaron. Or the people who come to hear Steve's grace-filled words at Outdoor Church in Porter Square on a Sunday afternoon. He would have fit in to the Cambridge of folk who lost the job on the wrong side of the housing bubble or who lost the person that kind of held their life together or the folk whose relationship with money or alcohol or people put them into an untenable but seemingly unchangeable place. The folk who don't have resources, financial, familial, emotional, physical, to come to Jesus, taking the risk, breaking the rules. It may be that for the guy at the pool, 38 years of passive hurting in the same place was just the best he could do. So when we talk about these two stories, I know that I get excited when I read the story of Lydia because I want that energy, that spirit, that openness, that hunger for a renewing faith. And I love the Bible stories where someone overcomes some kind of external obstacle to get to Jesus and Jesus says to them, go, your faith has made you well. And I know why my stomach hurts when I read the story of the passive guy at the pool. Because I know what it's like to be him. Sometimes the biggest obstacle to me hearing the good news is me. On those days when I don't have the strength to take the risk. And I wonder, does a healing from Jesus require that you have to have a minimum daily requirement of gumption and cojones and chutzpah? Because honestly, some days I just ain't got it. Some days I can't get out of my own way. I've been diagnosed with clinical depression. 
I know what it is like to be at the bottom of a black pit with no apparent way out and no real knowledge of what my next step would be. And I'm blessed that I had people around me who could give a helping hand. And I really give thanks for and recommend a good shrink and good meds because they're lifesavers. I have dear friends who struggle with substance abuse where what is real and true gets so tied up in the self-deceptions and the lies and the masks that if Jesus himself were to ask, do you want to be made well? They might answer, no, why? What, are you saying something's wrong? Ignore the bottles. Ignore the needles. Ignore the wreck of my life. Maybe you've been there too. And if you have, and I know I have from time to time, that's when we need that third reading where Jesus speaks to his frightened disciples the last night before his crucifixion. And he says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give the way the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Jesus offers his disciples peace as he's starting to tell them goodbye. And the word for peace, you know this already, but I'll tell you again in Hebrew, shalom, doesn't just mean peace as in being Zen. It means wholeness. It means healing. That's what Jesus offered his whole ministry to people. Wholeness and healing and peace and shalom. And he offers it to his disciples there again at the end of his life. So for all of you Lydia's out there, here's the good news. Jesus loves the people who come to him with all of their heart and all of their mind and all of their soul and all of their strength, who bring their A-game to growing in faith and changing the world for love of fire and peace renewed. Can I get an amen? Amen. And for those of you who feel like the guy at the pool, whose name we don't even know, here's the good news. Even when we don't have the belief to risk what it takes to find Jesus, even when we don't have the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus loves us right then and there, too. Jesus offers us shalom and peace and wholeness wherever we are, and that's when the faith of Jesus is stronger and more sustaining than our faith in Jesus. Jesus' faith and persistence is there when ours is flagging. That's when he says the gentle words to us, Peace I leave with you. The good news is that my being whole doesn't depend on the strength of my faith. That's very good news, actually. 
but rather the strength of the one who comes to heal me. The one who says to me, stand up, take up your mat and walk. And that too deserves an amen. Amen. Unless you're a superwoman or a superman, I think most of us oscillate between, between being Lydia some days and being, at, being the guy at the pool some days. And the good news is Jesus meets us where we are all the time. When we feel ready to fight every obstacle and find our shalom and our healing and our wholeness, And when Jesus meets us when we don't have the strength to roll over out of our own way, Jesus meets us there. Can I get an amen? Amen. So just as you are in every time and place, Jesus comes to you and he says, peace. And he says, be made well. And he says, hear the good news. So our next hymn is number 376 in our red hymnal. Uh, it's Dona Nobis Pacem, and you can sing it as a round. And so we're going to be brave this morning. I'm going to hide over here. 